Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 53. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to explore philosophy, psychology, and science with an emphasis on the great philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. The central tenets of this podcast are as follows. One, that there is more going on in the world than blind, purposeless, naturalistic materialism. It is called Geist in German, translated as mind or spirit in English. Two, that evolution is central to the universe. Three, that there is a higher realm than the finite plane of existence, but it is not separate from us. It is spirit, geist, and is working within us all. It is our internal passenger who can provide direction and meaning and purpose to life. And four, that we are all part of an historical process of increasing human consciousness of spirit, which allows freedom and rationality to evolve in the world with the aim of spirit knowing itself as actual. Now, in this episode of The Cunning of Geist, I will be exploring the age-old question, do we have free will? You've probably thought about this a lot yourself during the the course of your life, and uh, you can read many different opinions on it. So we're going to get into this today. As you can tell from the title of this episode, I come out on the side of affirming that we do, in fact, have some degree of free will. And I'll be explaining how I come to this conclusion during this episode. However, I need to point out that I'm not denying that much of our activity is, in fact, deterministic. In other words, we react in ways that can be predicted based on our inherited biology, the culture in which we are raised, and the choices in front of us. Again, I'll explain more of this in in detail as as we proceed. And finally, I'll be addressing what both Hegel and Charles Pierce, the great American pragmatic philosopher, had to say on the subject. First, some background. Today, in our secular materialistic scientific age, I believe many people believe in a fully deterministic universe, that if we could know the exact position and movement of every subatomic particle throughout the entire universe, that we would be able to accurately predict the next outcome at all levels. This view holds that the universe is actually one big machine, a very complicated machine for sure, but a machine nonetheless. The premise here is that evolution, when it occurs, is blind, and that why we don't know why the universe exists or why it has the laws that it does, but starting with the Big Bang, we should be able to trace and understand everything that exists or will exist from that point on. This view holds that the mind is just an epiphenomenon of matter, a result of matter, and the mind is fundamentally no different from the mindless protons, neutrons, and electrons that compose matter. Again, it's just something that's created after the fact uh, by matter itself, and it's not fundamentally different. Time also enters this worldview, and the position is that in actuality, the universe is one big block of space-time, that the future already exists and the past still exists. It is like if I'm an American, I'm driving cross-country from New York City to Los Angeles through Chicago, When I reach Chicago, New York City is still there, and Los Angeles is there the entire trip. So when I'm in Chicago, New York's the past, Los Angeles is the future, but they all still exist. They're there. Just I'm seeing it from a different perspective. Now, this was a view that was held by Albert Einstein. He called our perception of the passage of time a stubbornly persistent illusion. He had an early friend named Michelle Besso, and upon 
Besso's death in 1955, which is actually just a few weeks before Einstein's own death. Einstein wrote a letter of condolence to the Besso family where he said the following, quote, Now he has departed from this strange world a little ahead of me. That signifies nothing. For those of us who believe in physics, the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion, end quote. It's one of the most famous quotes of everything that Einstein has said, and clearly puts his stake in the ground in terms of what he believes in, and that's the block universe of space-time. So what this means is, if you can imagine it, is that space-time is like a three-dimensional movie uh, that's already been filmed. The early parts of the film are equally real as the latter parts. It's all in the film, all in the can. Somehow we're watching this movie like someone sitting in a movie theater, but that is just an illusion. The movie's already been made. There's no choice whatsoever in, in the matter of what's going to happen. So as observers, we just go with the flow like we're watching a movie. Interestingly, clinical psychologist Kenneth Wapnick, one of the editors of A Course in Miracles, used a similar analogy in his book entitled A Vast Illusion, Time According to the Course of Miracles. There is obviously no free will in such a universe. Now, I see several problems with this view, and I'll be getting into them in more detail. But to summarize, the problem that I have, the main one, is this block space-time universe of Einstein is a dead universe. There is no life in it. There's no evolution in such a universe and no real thought. And this goes against what I believe we experience every day in, in life. It goes against rationality as well, and I'll explain this as we move along. Now, in this episode, I'll be covering several topics, including the nature of time, randomness, reason slash thought, purpose slash teleology, evolution, and I will be referring to Hegel and Charles S. Pierce particularly throughout because of they're so relevant to this topic. Now, first, let's discuss time. For starters, I've always had a problem with Einstein's block universe of space-time, as, as I just said. And, and that's because it's, it's a dead universe. British physicist Julian Barber relatively recently wrote a very creative and interesting book in 1999 on how he believed we come to experience this illusion of time, even though it's, it's a dead block space-time universe. He called his book The End of Time. And while his analysis was certainly very interesting and thorough, he's a very competent physicist, it still left us with a dead four-dimensional universe at the end of the day. And also, his, his reasoning for this, which I was able to follow, uh, was so incredibly complicated that it seemed to me much easier just to just accept the way things seem to be in real life, uh, that we're all in a state of becoming. Now, my contention is the time change process are all fundamental to the universe, that there is an evolutionary process going on with meaning and purpose. Charles Pierce agreed with this view as well, and so did Hegel. As you know, Hegel put becoming as the first determinant concept in his science of logic, so it's, it's right there at the beginning, becoming. And even before time comes into existence in the universe, Hegel believes that becoming is, is there. Now, the past is certainly cemented. It's written in stone. It cannot be changed. 
The present is what's very interesting. It's the dialectical moment of aliveness in which the moment dies and becomes fixed in the past. Yet at that same exact moment, the future appears and life continues. It is constantly becoming. And we have choices in that moment. And I'm, let me explain this. Philosopher and esotericist P.D. Uspensky had an interesting theory regarding the dimensions of time. He postulated six dimensions, but we're only going to cover the first two here. He wrote about this in many of his books, but his developed theories presented in his book, A New Model of the Universe, published in 1934. So let me summarize this, the first two dimensions. We can view the present moment as a series of points on a line. That's one-dimensional time. That's what uh, Einstein views as in his four-dimensional block time universe. There's three spatial dimensions and one time dimension. And this one dimension of time runs from the past through the present into the future. Now, what Ospensky is saying is that in each present moment, there's also a diagonal line. That it's two-dimensional, not one-dimensional. And this diagonal line represents different possibilities before us. The line is not infinitely long, or there are not an infinite number of possibilities because there are not infinite choices before us. But, but there is this diagonal line with a certain amount, a certain set amount of uh, possibilities. For, for example, I cannot say I want to be in Paris in the next moment and arrive there instantaneously. Each moment contains what the past has given us, and we are really limited in what we can do. But we do have a choice. I can decide that I want to go to Paris next month and then start putting plans together moment to moment to get me there. There are certainly physical, biological, and time constraints that we must live by. If I want to go to the grocery store, I must drive or walk there. I cannot fly there uh, by myself, and so on. In each moment, there are a few choices available to us, and they lead to a different path going forward. So, our set of choices in one moment creates a new set of possibilities in the next moment, and so forth. And this continues moment to moment. So you can end up with a completely different path, depending on the, the choices that you make at, at each particular moment. And, of course, there are different time horizons, as I mentioned. Um, some time horizons are a few minutes in length. I'm thirsty. I will go get a glass of water. Others are much longer. I want to attend this university to study philosophy, or I... I choose to be with this person as a partner uh, for the rest of my life. Those are big choices that, that impact us over, over decades. Now, in some ways, this immediate choice before us in the present moment is, corresponds to the wave function in quantum physics. And this wave function is essentially a probability curve. You, you may be familiar with the bell-shaped curve, which is the probability of uh, say, uh, how tall people are, whatever. You can do, do it for almost anything. Quantum physics also comes up with the probability that an electron will be in a certain place at a certain time. Now, once the particle is observed and we find out which one of those places it's in, it, it's all these possibilities go away and it actually becomes there. It's The particle is there. So the observation create makes it actual, not just a probability anymore. So... This is just like the present moment. Once the choice is made, then it's actual. It becomes burned in stone, and we go forward with another set of possibilities. Now, Uspensky believed that all the possibilities 
that are available to us so we can, in fact, enact are, in fact, real. That these alternative realities are, in fact, all, all real. We do experience one of them, but the rest of them are real as well. And this is similar to the multiverse theory that many scientists hold on today, that each time that there's a quantum decision, the universe splits off into, into different universes. I'm not in that camp, um, but that's neither here nor there. Maybe we'll get into that in a future episode. The point is, is that the future is up for us to shape. It is open and it offers a set of probabilities at each moment. I'll explain why this solution is preferred over the dead block time narrative when we get into purpose later on. But for now, I want to spend a few minutes talking about randomness. We discussed randomness before, primarily in episode 46. If you recall in that episode, I covered Charles Pierce's theory of tychism, which is a Greek word for chance. Pierce believed that randomness, pure randomness, was an essential feature of the universe. He postulated this back in the late 19th century. And I believe he has been vindicated by quantum physics, which has shown beyond a doubt that randomness is a fundamental feature of the universe. Now, Einstein fought against this entire li- his entire life, and that resulted in his famous quote, God does not throw dice. Physicists today cannot explain this and do not understand it, but the truth of this matter cannot be denied. Uh, some postulate that there's a level of existence below all this which could end up saving determinism. But that may be just wishful thinking. And such a realm has not been found and it may never be found. Now, a key point here, and we've discussed this before, is that in pure randomness, there may lie the concept of freedom. Freedom being the core of life in the universe. An uncaused event can be looked at as random or it can be looked at as a conscious choice. This may be operating at the deepest levels of the universe. It can be a very, very primitive choice as it works in quantum physics, where the the electron decides to be in one particular spot, or it could be in a much bigger standpoint. But Pierce works this into his theory of how the laws of the universe were created and maintained. And again, for more on this interesting theory, please go back and listen to episode 46. This can also provide a basis for panpsychism, that the universe is essentially conscious, even before humans appeared that all matter has some elementary level of consciousness. And that we've covered many times, but particularly in episode 24, is what is meant by substance is subject, which is a key to understanding Hegel's whole philosophy. Now, there's another element which comes into play in any discussion of free will, and that is the nature of thought, reason itself. And Hegel said this very succinctly and very clearly. Let me quote him, quote, Freedom is precisely thought itself. Whoever rejects thought and speaks of freedom doesn't know what he's saying. The unity of thought with itself is freedom. The free will, the will is only free as thinking will, end quote. So here Hegel for once is quite clear. Freedom is thought. Thought is freedom. Our will is only free when it is thinking rationally. And Hegel also says, whoever rejects this does not know what the hell they're talking about. So, in that sense, we as humans have a freedom that the animals and plants do not have. We can think. And this thinking allows us to process information, to analyze events and plan activities. It allows us to set goals that may go against established norms. 
And this is Hegel's famous notion of true infinity that we have discussed here numerous times, but particularly in episode four, The Road to True Infinity. This brings us to purpose. Because we are thinking creatures, we have a unique ability to envision a future. We can see different futures for ourselves. This is something animals cannot do. The higher animals can learn and adjust based on memory, and we do as well. The difference is we can also envision a future. We can look at the two-dimensional line of the Spenskys and postulate, if I take this path, this is likely to occur. If I take that path, that is likely to occur. Now, psychologists often point to one's planning horizon as one of the many indicators of intelligence. It is smarter to think ahead days, weeks, years, and decades than it is to just live day by day. And as we've discussed, Hegel believed purpose was central to the universe. We discussed this in both episodes 26 and episodes 41. Now, the big question is, and we've addressed this before, is there an underlying purpose to the universe? And I believe that there is, and this is central to both the philosophy of Hegel and Pierce. The universe itself is evolving to a state of greater and greater rationality and freedom. That's its purpose. Now, finally, on to evolution. Again, we addressed evolution specifically in episode 43. Go back and revisit that episode if you would like more information. But let me briefly discuss it evolution in the context of free will. We noted in, in that episode that the evolution that Hegel and Pierce are referring to is not just Darwinian evolution. That includes more than that. Hegel refers to the, the evolution of spirit, the evolution of ideas. Pierce refers to it as the evolution of creative love. And I believe they're actually referring to the same thing, a rose by any other name. I believe this is also similar to the creative mind that William Waddles references in his book, The Science of Getting Rich, which we discussed extensively in episode 41 and how it influenced the worldwide bestseller, The Secret. So, as the universe evolves, our freedom evolves. And Pierce saw a proto-freedom in the initial universe when this freedom actually began to form laws and evolve laws that allowed the right kind of advancement of thought and freedom to know itself, to allow the evolution of creative love. The universe is becoming more conscious and more free, and this process continues today. And this is essentially the view that Hegel took as well, the march of history toward greater freedom and rationality. This is what's going on. Now, as we've seen, spirit, love, thought, rationality, evolution, all these concepts tie together because the universe is one whole. Now, finally, let me review where current philosophers shake out on this issue of free will. In philosophy, there are three camps regarding the question of free will. One is compatibilists who believe determinism can coexist with free will. Two is incompatibilists who believe free will cannot ex exist because the universe is wholly deterministic. And three, libertarianists who believe humans have full freedom to do whatever they please. Now, an interesting survey was conducted in 2020 among over 1,700 philosophers worldwide. It was done by philosophers David Burgett and David Chalmers. It covered many philosophical issues. It's really interesting to peruse. Now, here's what they found, though, regarding free will in terms of what these worldwide philosophers believed. 59% chose compatibilism. 
as as the correct way to look at free will. 33% chose libertarianism as as the correct way. Only 11% chose incompatibilism as as what they thought was going on and then 11% another 11% chose some other some other th- thing. So the majority of philosophers out there over half are compatibilists. And I would just have to say that I believe if a similar survey was done done among scientists, there'd be a larger percentage of there's no free will, a larger percentage in the incompatibilist camp. But that's just speculation on my part. Now, I would fall into the compatibilist camp, and most of the scholars that I read on this regarding Hegel would put him there as well. That is because a large percentage of what we do is essentially predetermined. We have many involuntary instincts. We breathe, we eat, etc. We also have an inherited psychology, perhaps even a collective unconscious, as we discussed in episode 49. We have certain inborn needs and desires and thought patterns that we cannot shake off easily, if at all. Uh, We also have the time in which we live, our zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, a phrase Hegel coined that influences us. We really can't act outside of that. Plus, we have our families, our societies, our state. All these impact us and narrow our choices in any situation. On a personal note, I've had many experiences where I could not will my body to do things I thought I should do, even some simple things. Sometimes it just seems like the mind, the heart, and the body all have a different uh, objective, (laughs) and they do. Take dieting, for example. It's probably the best example and perhaps exercise. We all know that we sh- what we should ideally eat each day. So why is it so hard to follow the plan? That is because our rational minds aren't in total control. And there's this interesting analogy that we talked about back in episode 34 of the horse-drawn carriage as a metaphor for a human. Uh, the carriage is like our body, the horse represents our emotions. The driver is our left brain, either or mind, verstand. And the passenger inside the coach represents our purpose, the holistic right brain, vernunft, or spirit within. And with many people today, these four aspects often have difficulty communicating with each other. The free will is represented solely by the passenger. But if the coachman is unaware that there is even a passenger inside the coach, then there's really no real free will. The coachman will just go here and there at the whim of the horse, making sure the horse is fed and so forth. That is the only direction it has, the emotions. Now, on the other hand, if the coachman is aware of the desires of the passenger spirit, he must still be able to to negotiate with the horse to get where the the, the entire horse-drawn carriage needs to go, where the passenger wants it to go. And he must keep the, the carriage, the body, in good working shape as well to accomplish anything. So there's much that is predetermined for us. Our bodies are what we inherited through Darwinian evolution. Our emotions have memories. Some of these memories may even be inherited. The emotions can certainly have their own things they want to do. But it is not free will. It is based on memories and based on biology and based on what we've inherited. It's predetermined based on these past experiences. Our left brain minds, the coach driver, can also only rely on what what's he's been taught, the current circumstances, what is available to him. This is true with us. We can the left brains only can rely on what's been taught, current circumstances, what's available. True free will, though, 
can only be expressed when there's a clear goal or direction or purpose given by the passenger, i.e. spirit. And spirit is not unique to each individual, but is one continuous entity that we all have within us. Spirit is one. So, to summarize, I believe that freedom is an essential feature of the universe. It is what underlies everything. It is what makes the universe alive and not dead. As the universe evolves and becomes more complex, more things become predetermined and true free will becomes more specialized. But it does exist. It exists primarily in our ability to envision different alternatives for the future. And this requires a purpose, not just bodily or emotional purpose, but a rational purpose. Now, one can say that our envisioning different alternatives is predetermined. And to a certain extent, that's true. Uh, but there are always those flashes of insight and intuition that create breakthroughs. And if there's a predetermination of the alternatives, there must have been a predetermination of that predetermination, and so on, ad infinitum, an infinite regress. One thing is clear. There is a drive in history toward greater freedom and rationality in the world. The last 4,000 plus years of history point to this. And over the next 4,000 years, I'm sure this advancement will continue with the normal fits and starts. Those that stand against free will say that no one has the power over the facts, and the facts of the past and the laws of nature entail every fact of the future. And yet I contend in the present moment there exists a cognitive freedom to choose differently. This is true infinity. This is life. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. It, it's such a rewarding experience for me to be able to produce these, these episodes and get the kind of response that I've been getting. And, uh, and I'm glad that, that many of you find these episodes helpful. Please follow the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist, where I'll be listing all the references cited here. And I often post relevant comments between episodes on this page. So please feel free to comment there. Many more people are doing so. In the, over the last few weeks. You can also follow me on Twitter, Gregory Novak, also at Cunning of Geist. And please be sure to like, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And also tell your like-minded friends about it as well. Spread the word. And feel free to share episodes on social media. And of course, check out the Hegel Study Group on Facebook if you're not already a member. This is Gregory Novak. This is the Cunning of Geist. See you next time.